Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord and discuss our Lutheran confession of faith with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians. Today's Concordians are Pastor Peter Ill, who's pastor of Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois, Pastor Merritt Dembski, pastor of Emmanuel in Waterloo, Illinois, and I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the dual parish of Emmanuel West Point and St. Paul's Wine Hill, also in southern Illinois. And on today's show, we'll continue making our way through the small called articles, and we will be continuing our discussion, which we began with our show from the National Convention of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate in Tampa, Florida last week. So we'll be picking up our discussion of the gospel and the means of grace in which it comes to us. Part three, article six of the small called articles, the sacrament of the altar, which we began there in Tampa. Uh, but uh, barely scratched the surface of and would like to get into much greater depth today. Also, before I bring in my cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians, just an update in case you're interested uh, in our show from Tampa last week at the National Convention of the LCMS. Uh, we had very generously been given a copy of the Book of Concord to use there uh, for the show by Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, my guests had... Uh, uh, and packing things had had not been able to pack their their thick uh, book of Concord, and so CPH having a table there uh, made one available for us, and then uh, allowed us to just give that away. And I I shared a way that you could get that. And so just in case you're interested, uh, that gift was actually awarded to Nick Spacone, uh, who was actually a delegate at the convention. His wife had been listening uh, and was the first to email and respond to the offer. And so we were very pleased to give that to him. I actually got the the chance to meet Nick then a couple of times and uh he he listens to the show while uh while working and uh just just a great joy to meet him and a listener and so uh thanks for listening and uh hope you enjoy that that wonderful book of concord provided by cph and uh actually had the three guests on our show uh sign it uh, we also had uh Pre pastor harrison president of lutheran church missouri senate sign it and also bruce kintz the ceo of cph uh signed that copy as well uh, and provided that to him so just an update on that that was a wonderful opportunity continue to get your great resources at cph and uh, uh just a reminder too that uh the Book of Concord that we use for this show, the one that we read from, is the CPH edition, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. Um, and I think we're on the second edition of it uh, is, is the one that we use uh, most commonly here on this show. And so uh, we certainly commend that to you and recommend that to you. Anyway, back to our show then today, picking up kind of where we left off. We, we just kind of hit the time as often happens on this show and uh, barely scratched the surface of this discussion of the Sacrament of the Ar Altar, Article 6, from Part 3 of the Small Called Articles, and a reminder of the Small Called Articles written by Luther himself. I'm going to go ahead and now, after talking for quite a while, and bring in my cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, Pastor Peter Ill and Pastor Dembski. Anything that you want to kind of 
put in the forefront of our minds before I'll read this here in a minute and refresh our memories. Uh, and it's short enough that we can just read through it again and discuss it. Uh, but uh, anything that you want to bring to the forefront of our minds as we delve in here. One of the helpful things to remember about this part of the Small Cult Articles is Pastor Luther is writing for a theological conference uh, to be held, ideally, at the city of, of Smoltkald, or, or more properly, for the Smoltkaldic League, but that conference never happened. That makes this particular expression of the sacrament of the altar kind of limited in its scope. He doesn't say everything that there is to be said about the Lord's Supper here. He simply picks the points of difference between the Lutheran confession and the confession of the Roman Catholics. And he points that out here. And so if you're looking for a full, robust treatment of the Lord's Supper, looking at Luther's writing in the small, in the large catechism and in the small catechism is going to be much more comprehensive. This is kind of a, a narrow, uh, you know, several inches wide, but, but quite a bit deep approach to the Lord's Supper in terms of the context that Luther's writing for. That's a really helpful point, a great reminder. Thanks for bringing that up. We we kind of broached that a little bit again last week uh, when we when we had the show there in Tampa. That um, the, these these several articles are all kind of grouped together. It begins well. I mean, the whole thing is the body of doctrine, and so they're all grouped together in one sense. But uh, in a in a little bit more narrow sense, Article Four, the Gospel, um, and then we talked about you know the the five means of grace, the ways in which that gospel comes to us. So we have Article 5, Baptism, uh, Article 6 here, the Sacrament of the Altar, Article uh, 7 and 8, the Keys and Confession. You know, those these are parts of those means of grace. And so they're all very much connected together. And we, we noted on covering the gospel that he doesn't actually, you know, give a definition of the gospel. Uh, and so I thank you very much for that, that wonderful reminder that um, I think you said there, he doesn't say everything that needs to be said here um, because uh, he's preparing for a very specific kind of focus there, that, that theological conference, which unfortunately never happened, uh, but that's in the forefront. So that's a great reminder. Uh, and, and thanks for bringing in that, uh, you know, reference to, I think we failed to do that um, last week that, uh, you know, if you really want to get, you know, a good definition of these things, Small catechism, of course, serves uh, a great purpose. We did kind of reference that last week, but but the large catechism gives a much fuller definition. So that's a great reminder. Thanks for that. Uh, Pastor Dembski, anything that you want to share before uh, we delve in here? Well, building on what you two were just talking about, the uh, it's a helpful reminder that all the theology and all this stuff that we're talking about doesn't happen in a vacuum, that it's not just a whole bunch of people sitting somewhere trying to figure out what to say randomly without any context, but that there is a context and that there are th words that mean things in their time, in their place that we're trying to uh, understand better. So knowing that this is from this point in time with the context of who Luther and the reformers are interacting with and why they are making the arguments they're making. Uh, our One of our adult Bible studies at Emmanuel just started going through the Augsburg Confession and making that point when we started that study to say um, this isn't uh, this isn't trying to talk to an atheist from modern day America. Like, this is talking to specific people at a specific time, trying to clarify what they as the reformers were teaching and that it was in line with Christian teaching. So when we're reading all of this, having that context in mind is very helpful. 
Absolutely. And I'm going to bring that uh, conversation point back to you uh, after we read this here um, to talk about what that specific context is. Because I think, you know, when we see the words that come to us here in this article of the sacrament of the altar, uh, I, I think it, it will be helpful for us to have in mind what that context is that they're specifically addressing here um, and, and and who they're they're kind of directing these things at. So I'm going to I'm going to bring that context thing back to you after we read it here. Also, uh, just to, to make another broad broader point in terms of context, we have actually already discussed some of these things previously within the small called articles um, that uh, back in part two, article two of the mass, uh, Luther actually talks at length there, uh, several of the abuses of the Roman Catholic Church and their practices and the connection with uh, the sacrament of the altar. So that provides even the context within the small called articles itself that that we're kind of coming back to this again. And, and again, as we just briefly scratched the surface last week, I noted that, uh, you know, the, the reason it kind comes back here again is because we are still confessing um, that this is a means of grace, a way in which the gospel comes to us. And and we'll continue to flush that out a little bit more here today as well. Also, though, before we press on, just a thought that comes to my head that uh, Pastor Dembski, maybe you can speak to, if not, uh, Pastor Oak can maybe chime in. Um, so, so when you talk about you know, that, that these words are written with a specific context in mind. Sometimes I, I, I fear that, you know, listeners may hear that or, or we may hear that and think, well, then it just applied to, to back then. Um, do, do these words still apply to our context today? Uh, or, or, or should we only understand them in their historical context? Do you get where I'm getting at with that question? Yeah, absolutely. We could. There could be that fear that we're saying nothing means anything and nothing's important or something like that. But no, not at all. Anytime we study anything, we have to understand the context from which it's coming so that we can have it translated into our, our modern ears, you know. And that doesn't mean that this only applies to then. Uh, but for example, uh, uh, if we use the word mass, and we think, okay, that uh, some people might automatically jump to, oh, that's a Roman Catholic thing, having Mass. And it's like, well, no, what they're talking about is a service with the Lord's Supper. you know. And so sometimes the terminologies might need to get fleshed out to better understand what is being said. And understanding the context in this case lets us know that um, that Luther and the Reformers are dealing with a specific problem in their day and age, and that problem still comes up. I've, I've really enjoyed, actually, on uh, another podcast I listen to other than Concord Matters all the time. Um, <laughs> There's other podcasts? Uh, I've heard, maybe, I don't know, is that, I shouldn't have said oh my. that, I? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but, That's all right, I'll still uh, let you be on uh, the show for now. Go ahead. Wait, where'd you guys go? I got a dial tone. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, when we uh, there's a, uh, another podcast I was listening to that's been going through the ancient heresies, and we see that these things crop up all the time. So it's not that this no longer applies, but when we understand the the context and the history, we understand why they're saying what they're saying the way they are saying it, um, and that we're not sitting there going, well, why are they not trying to explain what they mean by sacrament? Well, they don't need to explain the word sacrament; they need to explain what they're talking about in their day, in their age, and it still applies to today. We just have to understand how they're talking about it so we can understand how we 
talk about it today, too, if that makes sense. Hopefully I didn't say something wrong there. Go ahead and fix it, Pastoral. There's nothing there to fix, but yeah. simply to to go on and add to what you said, uh, kind of to piggyback on it, to say that we aren't in the exact same context that Luther and the other reformers were in as they as Luther was writing the Smaltkald articles, but we do see similar errors arising today, and right. in our conversations, because all who study the Word of God and the words of God are automatically theologians. And so for all of our theologians listening, this is a theological document where we get to see the way that the Lutheran Church confesses the gospel and the way that we react to particular and certain errors in how the Lord's Supper is understood. Not because we're arrogant or prideful or because we want to shake fingers at anybody else, but because as we sit down and read scripture, we confess exactly what Jesus says and exactly what scripture says without adding to or subtracting from it. And we'll have a chance as we go through this article to talk about some of the ways that uh, even if the same errors aren't made today, there are similar errors, maybe in the opposite direction or maybe in a similar direction, that do crop up from time to time and that do need a thoughtful, biblical, and, and theological response. And it's, and it's yep. nice not to have to recreate the wheel. Exactly. I, I love what you guys have framed here for us, you know, and, and if I can summarize it, basically you guys are saying that the confession of Scripture, you know, what, what God has revealed to us to, to know remains true throughout time. And, and yet as, as we face it in our different eras uh, and, and maybe even some of the terminology that we face in those different eras that maybe we don't even use today, it's helpful to understand and define, okay, this, this is how they were facing in their era and this is how it comes up in our era. But the, but the confession remains true uh, because it's what God's word gives to us. Uh, that that's my basic summary anyway but uh you you guys had wonderful stuff in there uh again i i really want to bring it back to this context issue because especially uh some of the words that we're we're going to encounter here um well first of all we're going to hear about a council a council of constance uh, just very briefly that was a 15th century ecumenical council uh that uh um you know we we need to understand that you know they they would have it, it happened just before this, in essence, you know, in terms of time and history and so forth. Um, and then also we're going to see a word transubstantiation. That's a that's a theological teaching. We're going to want to identify that and 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 what that is all about and so forth. And so so we're going to bring it back to this concept context thing. And, and, and that's part of the discussion that we have as we go through uh, reading this uh, confession of our Lutheran confession of the gospel, especially as it pertains to the sacrament of the altar. So without further ado, let's go ahead and just read this short article again, get it fresh in our minds, uh, and then we'll just spend some time uh, discussing it and digging in here. So again, we're in part three of the small called articles, article six, the article on the sacrament of the altar. Of the sacrament of the altar, we hold that the bread and wine in the supper are Christ's true body and blood. These are given and received not only by the godly, but also by wicked Christians. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine through 30. We do not hold that only one kind of the sacrament is to be given. For example, the bread alone. We do not need that high reasoning that teaches there is as much under the one kind as under both, as the sophists and the Council of Constance teach. 
even if that were true. Giving the one kind only is not the entire ordinance and institution commanded by Christ, citing Galatians 1.9. We especially condemn and in God's name curse those who not only refuse to give both kinds, but also quite tyrannically prohibit, condemn, and blaspheme giving both kinds as heresy. In doing so, they exalt themselves against and above Christ our Lord and God. As for transubstantiation, we care nothing about the sophistic cunning by which they teach that bread and wine leave or lose their own natural substance so that only the appearance and color of bread remain, and not true bread. For it is in perfect agreement with holy scriptures that there is and remains bread, as Paul himself calls it, the bread that we break, as it says in 1 Corinthians ten sixteen, and let a person so eat of the bread as it says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, And thus far, the article then. All right, so uh, again, some things to identify here. I very briefly identified the Council of Constance. Uh, it, it also ties in there, the sophists. Uh, we, we hear about sophists and the sophistic cunning there a couple of times, so, so I'm going to uh, throw that to Pastor Ill. So go ahead and get ready to identify that. And then we want to identify transubstantiation. Help, help us get this context, and then, and then we'll kind of lay out the confession from there. Uh, so, Pastor, I'll go ahead. And, and who are we talking about with the sophists here? The sophists, that comes from the Greek word for wisdom, would be the philosophers and those who are thinking about the Lord's Supper, thinking about Scripture, and they're coming up with answers that go beyond what Scripture says. And so there's there's a, a certain element, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, of people who are teaching about the Lord's Supper and saying what it is and what it isn't as they talk about transubstantiation, as they talk about receiving communion as the bread only, or as the wine only, or I should say more properly, as the body of Christ only, or as the blood of Christ only. But what Pastor Luther is saying is, hey, guys, you're going beyond what Scripture says. By your reason, by your cunning, by your thoughtfulness, you're actually trying to make all of Scripture answer to your thoughtfulness instead of confessing Scripture and occasionally reaching the point where you smile and you shrug and you say, this is what God's Scripture says we may not fully understand it here and now, and that's okay. Instead, they're coming up with answers that aren't given in the text. Would you like I me like to say a little said. bit more about transubstantiation? No, no sorry. Okay. I, I was trying to mute as I was flipping a page here and uh, didn't want... Uh all sorts of noise while you were talking there. Uh, but then I was also caught in a smile. As the you joy said, of smile live and radio. Shrug and say, yeah, <laughs> smile and shrug and say, that's what God's word says. That, that's, a, that's a good image. I, I like that image. Um, but, uh, but it's true. Uh, and, and, I, and I, yeah, I, I love what you frame there for us that, uh, you know, that they're, they're trying to use this, this human reasoning to kind of play these things out. Um, when, when what we ought to do is just smile and shrug and say, that's what God's word says. I, I like that image. All and right. That's so something then that we still bump into today when it comes to the Lord's supper, this is what makes this, this issue within our current context also matter is that there are people who by their sophistry or human wisdom, by their reasoning, sometimes want to say, this is what the Lord's supper is. Or when Jesus says that this is his body and this is his blood, well, he can't mean that literally because we know these things. We know that, for example, uh, body should taste like body and not like 
cracker. We know that blood should taste like uh, blood and not like wine that comes from the grocery store. And and so there's all these caveats that the human mind wants to put into place, uh, not terribly dissimilar from what was going on 500 years ago, but we're still here, still confessing the same thing about human reason and cunning and sophistry and philosophy. And simply we stand here along with Luther and say, we confess the text. We confess what the Bible says. Well, and, and it is amazing how quickly our own human reason and our own sophistry, to stick with that terminology, gets the better of us. And how often we want to make the jump to say, well, the text says this, but I think, and as soon as we have that shift to I think, you know, we, we automatically start to see a problem of uh, whether it's in, in our practice and, you know, like all that kind of stuff that, that we start to, to add our own human reason to say, no, this is the, the one right thing right here um, in ways that Scripture doesn't talk. Say more about that. Oh, uh, well, um, whether it's uh, uh, the, the liturgical practice at a congregation, uh, if we ever want to jump past saying, here is right practice with Christ at the center, to saying like, this one thing right here is the one right way that this is done, you know, like in a practical sense. Um, or if we if we want to jump and, and see ourselves, not necessarily just uh, uh, speaking Lutheran, but just like as people, as Christians, trying to jump back into some of these arguments themselves of, um, you know, we know exactly how everything works with the Lord's Supper rather than saying it's Christ's body and blood. We're receiving it in our unity. We're receiving it for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what we know. And that's how we understand it, <laughs> you know. And we're going to do so uh, believing God's word and going from there. Um, if we start to add too much of our own human reason and uh, our own logic in there to say things that the text doesn't say, then we're running into the same problems. And, and I like what, what both of you have said here, you know, that, um, you know, as we highlighted on the show, especially last week, because it's it's definitely laid out very directly in the article on the gospel. But but each of these means of grace, it, it's the centrality of the word, the word that speaks these things um, that that makes them means of grace to us, that gives us comfort and consolation um, amidst our sins and and in in the sin broken world that these things have power because of that word. And, and I like how, how you have highlighted this, and especially as, as a small called articles highlights this uh, in terms of the sacrament of the altar, that this is just what the word says. And, and it's for our great consolation and benefit uh, to bring it back to this, con um, to this context thing that, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of talk about and focus on here for a little bit. So, Pastor, Pastor Il, you talked about, you know, how the, the context here is the sophistry that's going on and specifically in connection with transubstantiation. Um, and, and it's the Roman Catholic abuse. When we saw in Article 5 of baptism that they, they kind of took it to the other side abuse that we see in the church, uh, namely with the baptism of infants and so forth. And we talked some about that last week, how that was probably added a little bit later and so forth, seeing things going on on the broader church. Uh, I wonder, 
Um, do you have any thoughts as to why they don't really include any of that here? Uh, because some of the things that you address that we still see today would have been going on at that time. Do you have any thoughts about that? Let me make sure I understand the question before I jump into an answer of a question you don't mean to ask. Uh, I tend to do that a lot. Uh, but are you asking about those things that are going on uh, in the other reformers, uh, in the other reformers beyond what uh, the Roman Catholics are doing? Uh, like Yes. Okay. So I think that part of the reason that Luther doesn't comment at this point on what's going on in other uh, Reformation communities, such as Geneva with John Calvin and among the Zwinglians and uh, the English and the Anglicans is their confession of what the sacrament of the altar is and what it does and how they understand it was still really developing for about another 10 years after the small called articles were written. Uh, their baptismal practices were, were much more set and much more noticeable, but the way they were talking about the Lord's Supper was was kind of still in progress and may not have been fully known to Luther as he was writing the small called articles. But that is most mostly a, a guess, but I think it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I, I, I'm intend. Uh, well, I tend to agree with you here. Um, I, I've been actually reading through some uh, some other works here recently um, about the the development of the Reformation and the history of the Reformation and kind of all the different reformers going on at the time. And uh, yeah, it, it was striking to me how exactly what you highlighted there that they're really just kind of getting off the ground and still going especially calvin there in geneva and so forth that uh his his uh institutes for the church and things like that his writings um are are still kind of go just in their early stages right as the small called articles are being written so yeah i just don't think that it's quite on the forefront there but but i think that this is a helpful place that we can talk about how maybe it's it's the same side of the coin, if you will, or opposite sides of the same coin. However, that phrase really works out. I don't know uh, that, that uh, you know, they're making an error here, losing the centrality of the wor word. Um, and, and though they're going in different directions, it's really kind of the same error. But that's something that's going to have to wait for after the break. So thanks for listening. Please join us right after this. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart. 
to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. This week on Issues Etc., we'll get an introduction to the Augsburg Confession from Pastor Paul McCain of Concordia Publishing House. We'll discuss recovering Lutheran preaching with Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we'll have Pastor Brian Wolfmiller introduce us to the book of Mark. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Animated movies from Walt Disney Studios have produced iconic characters, memorable tunes, and perhaps a surprising number of biblical references and allusions. Snow White is tricked into eating a poison apple, a fruit commonly associated with the forbidden fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil presented by the serpent to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Pinocchio is swallowed by Monstro the Whale, a clear nod to the giant fish in the Old Testament story of Jonah. In the Jungle Book, when Mowgli thinks his friend Baloo the Bear has died, the panther Bagheera tells him, Greater love hath no one than he who lays down his life for his friend. A direct quote from John 15, 13. Engage with the Bible and its impact on history, culture, and art. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue to make our way through the small called articles. Part 3, Article 6, the Sacrament of the Altar with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, Pastor Peter Ill, Pastor Merit Dembski, and myself, Pastor Sean Smith. And we were uh, right right up against the break, uh, just kind of laying out the context of things that were going on and uh, uh, at the time that Luther specifically addressing. And so we were we were highlighting what what these terms mean, sophists and sophistry and what what's going on there. Uh, and, and we talked about, you know, how that ties into the understanding of what's going on and kind of creates this error. And and I think Pastor Ill probably discussed very briefly this this issue of transubstantiation. Um, but I, I, I want to flush this out a little bit more because I think it flushes out the error that is directly being addressed here. Um, so, so Pastor, I'll go ahead and identify for us again, transubstantiation. What is it? What's the error? How, how, did, how did that kind of develop there in the church? Transubstantiation is the philosophical understanding of how the Lord's Supper works, that there was a, a substance of bread and wine that was changed or transmuted or, or converted so that no longer was the bread and wine that was on the altar. It stopped being bread and wine, and it started being body and blood. So the Roman Catholic teaching of transubstantiation is bread and wine stop being bread and wine, and they start being body and blood. But this also goes back to the Aristotelian logic and the Platonic logic of saying 
oh, something has its essence and it has its, uh, which would be called its substance and its appearance. That would be called its accident. Uh, in, in philosophical language that was used uh, very commonly in the medieval period. And they said, while it still looks like bread and wine, it still tastes like bread and wine, it's actually body and blood. And so the accidents remain the same, the appearance and the taste, but the what it actually is has changed from body and from bread and wine into body and blood and it is no longer bread and wine uh the the response that pastor luther gives here in this article is you guys are thinking too hard jesus said that it is his body and blood and it's bread and it's wine so what is it is it bread or body is it wine or blood and the Lutheran answer is to say, yes, it is the body and blood of Christ in, with, and under the bread and wine, even though that phrase in, with, and under isn't used in this part of the small called articles. It is exactly what we believe, teach, and confess. And, and becomes very important, especially as, as we talked about when we went through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession and previously the Augsburg Confession, uh, much before that and so forth on this show, um, that, uh, you know, this is where you get into the variata, the, 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 the altered Augsburg Confession, where Article 10 of the Augsburg Confession uh, was altered by Philip Melanchthon, who wrote it uh, for the Lutheran position. Uh, he kind of quietly altered it later and changed the words, eliminating the true body and blood of Christ are truly present. He, he took those words are truly present out. And uh, very helpfully, you know, our, our clear testimony of what we believe, teach and confess, namely from Luther himself here in the small called articles becomes very helpful uh, when Melanchthon makes that change uh, because we can actually cite, no, no, this is actually the Lutheran position on what Scripture clearly teaches here. Uh, we, we can't take that out. We can't, and, and Melanchthon kind of changed that to be a little more friendly to the other Reformers, which, as we laid out just before the break and so forth, is... is um, you know, maybe just getting going uh, for them. And so quite not not quite on the, the forefront of what we see here in the small called articles, but yet very helpful in its context of this. This is what the Lutherans confess so that when things are changed later, we can say, no, no, uh, there, there is agreement. There is concord here uh, with our other writings that what was originally written is our position. Uh, so I just wanted to highlight that for us for for, again, a little more context on the issue. But but then also coming back to this issue of, of um, transubstantiation, this, this sophistry that develops trying to use human reason to understand what's going on and, and taking it too far instead of just smiling, shrugging and saying, that's what God's word says. I, I still like that image. Um, but uh, it, I think this also plays out in another issue that, that kind of develops and is definitely in the forefront of what uh, Luther is addressing here, namely that well, you, you kind of have a couple things. One that uh, the the laity then begin receiving the uh, the Lord's Supper in one kind only, and and that would be the bread. They're, they're, they withhold the cup. Only the the clergy would uh, partake of the Lord's um, uh, blood in the in the sacrament, the wine there. Um, and uh, and then you know so then this other practice develops where uh, you know the lady are actually taking uh, the bread home with them and and kind of 
adoring it and then also they're, they're connecting in the fourth petition give us this day our daily bread and they're kind of using this this bread of the lord's supper as their uh their bread here so anyway uh as as i've kind of laid out that this this other issue then develops of receiving in one kind only uh Go ahead and, and lay out for us. I'm going to throw it to Pastor Dembski. Um, uh, what, what's the issue here with receiving in one kind only? We, we have that right there at the at the beginning of paragraph two. He, he very clearly confesses, we do not hold that one only one kind of the sacrament is to be given. Example, the bread alone. What's that? What's going on there? What, why is this an issue? Well, it's, it's automatically humans saying we know better you know jesus gives the supper he says take eat this is my body take drink this is my blood and then man is coming around saying you know what i got this idea if this is really his body then it's got some blood in there so it'll be all good give him one and of course we can't spill the the blood because that will be that would be terrible which i never want to spill of course but you know that we can't trust people to not spill or have a problem so we'll just we'll hold that back because they're they're getting enough it'll be all good we we know better and we'll like so there was a little bit of practical side from what i understand historically of kind of withholding but then it kind of became a um uh, and not a problem just to take the the bread and take the body and just give that only so it's some of that that hum, human rejection of what christ clearly says um that if he tells us to eat and drink, then we eat and drink, and we don't cut off half of that, or we don't especially reject uh, Christ's blood, especially if you get theologically into that idea right there, you know, just thinking what Christ's blood is that washes away our sins, that forgives the lifeblood, you know, like all that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden the church is saying, "Uh, we're not going to give that out. And I know there's other things that develop within that of theologically the the mindset of what's happening in the Lord's Supper and all that. But um, that's that's really the problem is you're taking Christ out of it and you're taking the importance of Christ out of it. That's that's one of the things that uh, when we were talking about transubstantiation a moment ago that I always like when we're doing confirmation and kids will say, what does it mean when we say in, with, and under? And, and I'll say, it means, I don't know. <laughs> like, how's, how's Christ's body and blood there? I don't know. It's in with and under. You need to smile and shrug first. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I was I was smiling, but smiling doesn't do good on radio. So smile and shrug when you confess the gospel of Jesus. Absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) But but I I like what you lay out there, though, too, that, uh, yeah, this, this is kind of a messy issue that develops. And as we've seen so often as we've gone through this book of Concord and addressing the errors um, that, that we see creep up, and, and thus we need to confess the truth of the gospel, but also clearly highlight and and, and attack the errors uh, that could lead away from Jesus and the gospel, um, that, that, you know, th- this is kind of a messy situation that when when you have this error, it usually develops out of, you know, maybe some good intentions uh, to begin with. I I like how you charitably point out one of the issues is that, um, you know, they're worried about spilling the wine and spilling the blood of Jesus. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to say that that's, that's a very 
you know, kind of pious thing um, that that I want to commend, you know, we, we should take this seriously. And, and sometimes I think in our modern American context, we're, we're maybe not pious enough. We, we don't we don't approach the Lord's Supper with enough piety um, that that confesses what we really believe is going on in the Lord's Supper. We're not we're not careful enough. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that we should get all bent out of shape either, you know, and take it to extremes where we have to begin then developing other things. And, and there were other issues, too, na- namely that, uh, you know, the clergy were alone worthy enough because of all their good works and, you know, their holy calling and things like that. There there were other issues at play as well. But one of them clearly was what you highlighted there for us and, and that they didn't want to spl- spill the blood of Jesus. And that's a good thing. Uh, but then you start developing these other things, you know, this, this other, these other teachings that is not what God's word says that, you know, they, 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 I love what it says here in paragraph three, even if that were true, giving the one kind only is not the entire ordinance and institution commanded by Christ. It's plain and simple, right? This is what Christ gives us. You know, you don't have to take it too far and start developing this idea that, well, you know, as your body obviously includes blood with it, you know, you can just receive the body and you're receiving the blood of Christ al- along with it as well. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that, you know, we, we got to hold these things in tension, as we always talk about, and that's always a difficult struggle. So you want to have that piety. And one of the stories I always like to share is that Luther holding this position really did have great piety, um, that there's a story that towards later on in his life, actually, when when he was, you know, becoming a little more infirm, uh, some wine spilled during uh, the, uh, the Lord's Supper, and uh, he gets down you know, lays flat, goes prostrate on the ground and, and licks up the wine and he does it out of pure piety. And so it's good to be concerned about, you know, we want to approach the Lord's body and blood with reverence and we want to hold that. And, and sometimes, again, I think in our modern American context, we don't have enough reverence when it comes to um, the Lord's Supper and thus sometimes convey that we don't actually believe that there's anything going on there, maybe fall off to the other side, the other error. Um, but, and, and, uh, we can yet, certainly take it too far. Go right. ahead. And I was going to say, that's, that's the one thing that I think we also have to be cautious of is that we don't turn the gift into the God, that we don't turn his gift into the thing that we worship, which, um, we, that is kind of what developed, you know, you had, uh, and you see this all through history biblically you have god give the ark where he is present with the people and then they start worshiping the ark and then he gives the the bronze serpent to heal the people and to to look upon when they are calling upon god and they do so but then later on they worship the the serpent the the people worship the temple where god was with them and and i think that you have this thing develop in the church where they have this gift and where it is christ present with them and it's this gift of his gospel, his his grace and mercy, uh, given in a tangible way. It ends up becoming this thing to worship, and the reverence turns into idolatry. You know, is and and it turns into taking the the eyes off of the gift giver and onto the gift, rather than having the reverence and faith in what the gift relays. But it the the the, the focus started to get shifted. And so you have the, the, the caution of the spilling because it's, it's God himself, which it is Christ, you know, but it becomes this thing to worship rather than to have reverence around and looking to Christ himself. 
and you know I, you can see that that develop or seemingly develop and it's like the same thing over and over again throughout biblical history and history in the church you know of worshiping yeah. the gift rather I, than the gift giver I, I like what you said there. That, that That's a very helpful point in helping us hold this tension of, you know, wanting reverence. But I like what you said, don't let the gift become the God, right? And and that's certainly what plays out here. As I mentioned, that they, they, they begin taking the bread home with them and they connect it together with, you know, the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread and things like that. And, uh, but but they really start adoring it. They start worshiping it. And, and it is a repetition of what you see over and over again in Scripture where the gifts commonly become our idols. And we've talked about that many times on this show too, where, you know, uh, all of these good gifts easily become our idols. Our hearts are idol factories. Our families can become idols, good gifts that they are and, and everything else. And, and, and I think that we should hold in the forefront here, you know, that even our, our reverence and everything else can, can easily become an idol for us. Uh, and so while we hold good practice in the church, um, you, you got to have right teaching and, and, and things to, to balance it out and, and, and don't let it become an idol for you. And I, I know that's a mistake that, especially for a lot of pastors, I, I myself feel that tension a lot, uh, can really be quite a temptation for us. But I also want to talk about the other side of the issue and receiving one kind here only. Um, Namely, you know, as we still see it today, um, could could there be a case for uh, or or things that we see today um, for receiving a one kind only? I'm going to bring Pastor L back in here. We Merritt and I have been talking a little bit here. Oh, goody! Uh, this is something that I every time I get to read this portion of the small called articles, I struggle just a little bit with this, but because there was a time when uh, I knew a Christian who had uh, surgery and they couldn't drink any wine. Even just one sip of wine out of a chalice or out of an individual cup uh, would have rendered that person legally intoxicated uh, to the point they couldn't drive home. Uh, and she talked with her pastor and arranged to dip the body of Christ into the blood of Christ uh, because she wanted to receive both Christ's body and blood, the way he instituted it. And so she did it by the practice of what's called intinction, which is just a fancy word for saying dipping the body of Christ into the blood of Christ. And that worked out uh, really well for her until that condition passed. Uh, but there are other times when Christians with, say, celiac disease who have a hard time receiving the body of Christ uh, in with and under bread made with wheat, uh, they have a physical reaction to it. Or Christians might ask about not receiving the blood of Christ. In those cases, I'll go so far as to say, if the Christian asks for it and says, Christ's command is to eat and to drink, but that would have a disastrous effect on me, and I choose not to take it, I can see that. But for the church to say, we're not going to let to give you the chance to receive the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, where we will withhold one of these from you. Uh, that is not is not consistent with Jesus' command. Uh, before the break, we were talking quite a bit about the centrality of God's word and of Jesus' command and the Lord's Supper. And I think that is really, really important in our conversation. Jesus said, take, eat, and take, drink. We don't want to do or say anything that is going to introduce or cause doubt for a Christian that they indeed are receiving Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, that the body of Jesus 
that was broken on the cross, the blood of Jesus that was shed from the cross comes here in this bread and wine given for these dear Christians to eat and to drink. Yeah, I, I like what you highlight there. Um, I, I might take it even a little bit further. And, and I think you provide a, a very good framework for us um, to, to work through these things. And, and that's good. That's important. Uh, we, we can certainly do this on the show. I'm going to push a little bit further, though, maybe maybe just as the host and, and trying to watch ourselves here, too, and say, this is the best place to work out those special circumstances when a Christian has this struggle. Go to your pastor. <laughs> I just want to highlight that because sometimes, uh, you know, a, a radio show like this, a podcast or, or another teacher or pastor, you know, um, we're, we're providing the teaching and, you know, and, and maybe a framework to approach these things. And, and it can be used against a pastor who's trying to work with a parishioner, right? Um, and or, or as a substitute for the pastor working with his parishioner. And we don't want that to happen. So I just want to highlight that for us. And, and I know that Pastor Ill and uh, Pastor Demsky would be in agreement with me here um, that we want to encourage you, go work this out with your pastor. But I really like the framework that you have there for us, that uh, when, you, when you have the centrality of the word, that's the first thing that I do when, whenever I have these circumstances come up. You know, sometimes they're brought up to me right there on Sunday morning. And especially as I serve a dual parish and have to travel back and forth and so forth, my first response usually is, let's meet and talk about this sometime, right? Uh, because, uh, you know, right there, you know, in a, in a very brief sense is not the place to do it. Um, but in working out that framework, the first place that I start when, when, when we sit down to meet and so forth is I, I start with, you know, the small catechism, which, which clearly confesses what scripture itself gives us. And what is the sacrament of the altar? What does scripture teach us is the sacrament of the altar? It's the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ under the bread and wine instituted by Christ himself for us Christians to eat and drink. All right, that's, that's the plain, simple teaching given to us by scripture of what this is and what's going on here. So now let's talk about our practice flowing forth from that confession of what scripture gives us to believe. All right, and, and in that framework, you know, we, we can understand that, yeah, a method like intinction, maybe not the best, but, but if it's going to cause, you know, stumbling or offense or, or, or something else going on, um, you know, then, then maybe we can work that out. I, I, I would also share, um, as I know you guys are full aware of as well, that there are special uh, wafers um, made for those who have celiac disease or, you know, these struggles with the, the gluten and the wheat bread and so forth. Um, you know, you, you can work those things out. A lot of times uh, there's issues when it comes to uh, receiving the wine, especially if those who have alcoholic issues and so forth. Well, you can, you know, basically put a drop of wine in water there and it's so diluted down, but, but it's still honoring the, the faithfulness of the word. Um, all of these sorts of issues can play into how you play out the work out the practice. Um, but we want to hold to 
the plain and simple teaching of what God's word gives us. And, and again, I just want to encourage, go to your pastor, work this out with him um, and, and be faithful to that. And I also want to highlight what Pastor Hill helpfully said. It's a different issue when the church starts mandating these things in a sense, right? Uh, you can always be, be sure that there's something uh, pretty, pretty scary going on when the church starts mandating things that go against the plain, simple teaching of God's word. Um, kind of run away from that, right? Uh, and, and so, you, you know, again, you hold these things in tension. Uh, but for most people, the plain, simple thing is Jesus says, take and eat, take and drink. And he does that with bread and wine. And he says, this is my body and blood. That's what we're given to confess and believe. The small catechism highlights it for us. It's highlighted very well and very simply here in paragraph one of the small called articles. We continue to confess this again and again. And that'll save us from a lot of errors. As, as I said on the show last week, I think a lot of times if we just study our small catechisms, we can eliminate at least 90% of the errors that we see in the church. All right, Pastor Dembski, go ahead and jump in now on that on that conversation. Um, a, a particular part. I've got a couple things I could say, but which part of it, Mike? Well, I, I know that you have a couple things to say in terms of the receiving one kind only. So I, after talking for a while, I just want to allow you to bring up your your points. Oh, okay, gotcha. I wasn't sure. I'm not being um, a very good host today. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Usually we have eye contact and sign language to work with. So, you know, being at a distance, <laughs> right. that's tough. <laughs> um, the, uh, so uh, to piggyback off of one thing before the, the, the of one kind, um, you know, we, things like KFUO and podcasts and stuff are always awesome. Uh, but we, I, this is something I always wrestle with and always tell the members of our congregation never to use those as a replacement, but as supplement, you know, like that you're, you're getting more and it's awesome, but go to church, go to Bible study, grow together with that community of saints where you are, um, to, to build on what you were saying before. Um, with the one kind stuff, I know at times I'll have, I've had uh, people say, well, I can't receive the wine for one circumstance, one reason or another. Um, and I just, I just want the bread. Can I just have the bread? Um, or, you know, and at times we talk about the Lord's Supper in an emergency sense you know, like there's this emergency that's here. And we always have to be cautious that we're not sacrificing God's word for what we deem to be an emergency situation. You know, like as then we start to see a trust in something other than the word. You know, why are you saved? Because they received the Lord's Supper. Uh, no, I, you're, you're saved because Christ says so. And you are saved because he has given that promise and he has given you faith in that promise. You know, and so making sure that we don't neglect God's word for circumstances, uh, regardless of how pious they may be or anything like that. Um, but I think Pastor Ill did a wonderful job talking about the different ways that we can go about handling those situations when they come up. Um, but uh, always, always going back to Christ, always going back to the word alone and the faith in that word that he gives to us and the peace that we have by his grace. That's that's well summarized for us there. And uh, we'll, we'll just go ahead and let that kind of wrap up our thoughts for today. As again, the centrality of the world word leads forth to our confession of the gospel, this means of grace, the sacrament of the altar. As it comes to us, we faithfully confess with the word, as Jesus simply gives to us, that the bread and the wine are the Lord's Supper 
that that with that word is Christ's true body and blood, and it's given for our consolation. And so we let that stand. We let that be our confession. And next time, we're going to continue this confession of the gospel and the means of grace. And as it comes to us, uh, transitioning into article then seven and eight on the keys and confession. And, and there's a nice segue here in terms of the Lord's Supper that we get in the uh, small catechism who receives the sacrament worthily. Well, it says those who have faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so that's what we receive in the Lord's Supper. That's also what we receive in the keys and confession. So thanks for stopping by. And until next time, keep confessing, church. Keep confessing, church.